You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Texans. I'm your host, Kane Pippen. I'm joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And we are here to talk about Tom Brady being washed. <laughs> well, I think most people probably would enjoy that. That's um, <laughs> true. I'm, I'm a former Boston resident, so um, I just was around the Patriots and their fans for way too long uh, yeah. to, to enjoy the stylings of Tom Brady. But... Um, by the way, do you want to explain to people why you are an Australian guy who loves the Houston Texans? Because I feel like you can't just be like, oh, I'm a Texans fan. Because people <laughs> are going to be like, why the hell are you a Texans fan, Kane? You lived in Australia your whole life, and then you moved to Wisconsin for a year or whatever. Like, there's there's no reason for you to be a Texans fan. No. Yeah, that's – I mean, overall, when you look at this, I'm a Bucks fan, a Texans fan, and an Oakland Athletics fan. So – um just First took the all, dartboard out, just, yeah, just randomly. Exactly. I mean, the, the the Texans literally. It was like that. I mean, I really liked uh, I really liked Andre Johnson, and then you know, um, JJ Watt certainly over the last few years has been like really fun to watch for the last, I guess, ten years now. But um, yeah, the NFL. Like, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a. I wouldn't say I'm a diehard like NFL guy. Like, I I, I definitely wouldn't. Uh, say that my analysis of the game is anything to uh, write home about, but it's fun. I enjoy watching the game. It's fun. I like the Texans. I think they're a fun team. And, and like right now uh, with Deshaun Watson, it's, it's, it's fun. And for a lot of those years where I was watching the Texans, when you had, uh, I don't know, the, the amount of quarterbacks they, they had with uh, Brian Hoyer was there. And uh, I went to the Texans game at Lambeau, actually. It was snowing a couple of years ago and they had... I can't even think of his name now. That terrible quarterback that they gave a bunch of money. Matt Schaub? No, 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 no. The, the, like just oh, the tall guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Brock. Brock the, was it Brock? Osweiler. Osweiler. Yeah, Brock yeah, Osweiler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was just awful. So it's fun. It's fun with Watson. But seriously, though, we are. We aren't. We aren't going to talk about the Texans for like the next hour. Like I, I, I will concede that. But they just beat the Patriots, and that's fun. They always get uh, beaten up by uh, by New England. So, and seeing you know Tom Brady so upset and the whole night was fun. I enjoyed it. It was a very pleasurable experience for me. But so was the Bucks yesterday, Frank. I know that, that we haven't spoke since they they beat the Cavs as well. So another uh, couple of wins for them. Their win streak is now at eleven, and they're seventeen and three on the season. A fifteen and one record in November, like just a ridiculous month for the Bucks, considering that Middleton missed half the month there with that uh, thigh contusion. But yesterday we spoke about the Bucks not really having easy nights. That was a true blowout. Yeah, um, you know, Cleveland game felt kind of like we've seen this story before, right? Mm -hmm. Where they were in control. They had big leads at various points. And then um, Cleveland just going on a streak of, of hitting shots um, kind of gave them 
a chance and and kept it much closer than you'd like. I think Bucks also had a just a stretch of just uh, incompetence on offense, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, that allowed the Cavs to to get back in it. And um, I don't know. I wasn't necessarily ever like really panicked, but uh, I think probably many Bucks fans are pretty annoyed uh, at various points there in the fourth quarter. But, um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately obviously kind of bucks as they have done, you know, kind of take care of business and yet another uh, nine point, <laughs> nine point win yeah. against a team that sort of kept it probably closer than, uh, than you would have liked. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, the, the, the best thing you can say about the bucks and is that they've just become very predictable. Like, you know, they just go out and they kind of, play the game there the way they want to play it and um even though we've seen a number of you know kind of outlierish shooting performances from other teams from three um you know they're able to keep pace slash um stop enough of the other stuff those teams like to do i.e getting to the paint getting to the rim um and the bucks are able to do enough of the other stuff themselves um to uh night in and night out obviously just you know come out victorious and um you know, I looking at there was that while where, um, you know, kind of heading into this the stretch of I'd say easier games. Um, there was a lot of discussion with the Bucks having the like hardest schedule in the league and or one of the hardest schedules and and everything. And now it's started to definitely even back out. I think uh, I don't know. I'm looking at like ESPN's um, uh, RPI ranking stuff, and they've got the Bucks <laughs> the Bucks at. Uh, literally 15 so dead even middle middle of the pack in terms of opponent strength of schedule um so a lot of that has certainly shifted back obviously there's been um a number of home games that has you know started to balance out the schedule uh, a little bit in the bucks favor um you know they're now eight and one at home nine and two on the road so i mean they're still um have played a couple more games on the road than at home so obviously um always good to have some more home games uh in hand when you think about you know kind of games coming up and um obviously they've got a chance to uh to win some more games uh ahead of uh of this game i guess on friday against the clippers which um i feel like it's been a long time i i can't to be honest i would say the utah game i didn't expect them to win because they never win in utah but for the most part i mean you know they're a really 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 good team and so no matter where the game is being played i'm generally expecting them to win and they've pretty much generally won. Um, so I think it will be interesting to get a game, um, you know, a little bit more of a yardstick game coming up here um, later this week. Um, but for now, obviously you can't really, you know, complain too much about just <laughs> night in and night out, just cranking out wins, having the best point differential in basketball. And as of uh, this afternoon with the Lakers losing to the Mavs. Thank you, Luka Doncic. Um, the Bucks now also uh, have, I guess they're technically tied with the Lakers for the best record in basketball overall. Lakers have had um, kind of the opposite uh, home road split as the Bucks. Lakers have had an even easier schedule uh, than pretty much everybody. So Lakers are now running into a more difficult schedule, including they're going to be in Milwaukee later this month. So, um, so yeah, it's the Bucks. I'd say are in a the place you would want to be when it comes to the standings. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make with the Lakers because uh, I know there's been a bit of talk about that over the last few days. They have had an extremely easy schedule. And I, I know it is, as you mentioned, balancing out for the Bucks now, but uh, you can only beat who's in front of you. And this team just continues to take care of business. But you, you touched on the three-point shooting. And this is interesting because 
you think about the last three games where the the Jazz uh, shoot twenty one threes, and then the the Cavs. I mean, that was really what kept them in this game. They shoot ten for fifteen in the third quarter from free uh, from three, and it just looked like they just could not miss anything. And this was a game that was again the Bucks with a big uh, lead at halftime, and then all of a sudden you go into the fourth quarter on the front end of a back to back. And it was a lot closer than uh, you you hoped it would be. So at the moment, the Bucks are currently 28th. So uh, for three-point percentage from their opponents, their opponents are shooting 38% from three on the season. We're a quarter of the way in. Are we... Is, is this... I mean, luck is going to come into this. And you're not going to have many teams who are going to shoot 21 threes or shoot the way that the Cavs did in the third quarter. Like, that's going to happen from time to time but it's rare so uh, should we be concerned about the three-point defense of this team i mean well first off i think in 2019 almost 2020 you know nba like just the world of of this sport i think outlier shooting is just fundamentally like we don't, we don't want to admit it because we want to act like the best team is going to win every night um and but the reality is that you know an outlier shooting performance from a team slash, you know, a really bad shooting, you know, either way. Right. Um, and if you have it obviously going in favor in one direct direction and then kind of swinging back the other way, the other way, then, I mean, it's just very hard to, to win if you don't have that, that benefit. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'd say there's a lot of randomness, you know, when, when you play with in, in this era. And then I think the box in particular, they take away the rim they give up tons of threes, right? Um, now, granted, they're about, they've, they've generally been about average under Budenholzer in terms of the frequency of threes that come from the corners, which are obviously the higher percentage, you know, higher expected value threes. Um, so they take away the corner threes better than, than uh, you know, certainly they're about average, or certainly much better than they take away the above the break threes. And obviously, you know, I think you can look at that in, uh, you know, light of the fact that I think it was Ben Falk from Cleaning the Glass did a story last year on how kind of the Bucks tend to give up threes to probably, you know, a lot of big men, a lot of guys who aren't necessarily like mm-hmm. the best three-point shooters. Um, you know, the way they play going over screens. Um, it's harder to be like a point guard getting lots of like easy looks at threes just because the guy with the ball typically against the Bucks is, you know, being forced into kind of like mid-range shots. Um, but yeah, I mean, if pick and pop big men, um, have hot shooting nights, if, you know, teams move the ball, um, and find open guys, which the Bucks can also be susceptible to, um, yeah, then some nights they're going to hit a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of threes. Now, um, you know, open threes, even in the NBA are not like, I mean, teams are, should not be hitting like half of that, even if they're wide open, you know, our friend Dean Money always likes to point out like, um, I think he tweeted this like or like a year ago, like that there were only three players in the league at the time that were shooting 50% or better on wide open threes. Um, so for a whole team to do it, it's it's not that's just not typical, right? And and again, it doesn't mean that sometimes the Bucks defense isn't um, you know, let's just say not just a victim of circumstance, right? I mean, if if you are being overly aggressive, you know, I just think of like Pat Connaughton flying, you know, <laughs> contests yeah. and you know, like you know, threes that that are that are wide open um or if they're just dropping and giving up you know wide open threes to to these like pick and pop bigs again obviously to some extent like you know yeah you're you're 
daring the other team to hit him. And if they hit him, then sometimes, you know, you got to say the defense is obviously part of that. It's not just you're a, you know, bystander who has no control, but, um, but yeah, I think some nights, you know, we're going to see that, you know, at some point the Bucks are going to lose a game and it may very well be because the other team just shoots really well from three or the Bucks just happen to not make threes. But, um, you know, if ever the, the make or miss league thing was, was true. Um, I think, I think that's where we are now. And again, I think that's, <coughs> excuse me, that's why it's also important. Obviously why we always dwell on like how many points in the paint are you getting? You know, how many, what's the frequency of shots you're getting at the rim on offense, right? Um, because you are trying to at least control your own destiny a bit more than just basically saying, we're going to let the three point gods you know, roll the dice on this game. Because again, the Bucks shoot lots of threes. Um, they give up lots of threes, but I mean, certainly it's not like they have, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant shooting all their threes for them, right? Like, well, they, they do they have Robin Lopez, Frank. They have Rolo. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. But um, you know, there's they're not a particularly special team as a three point from a three point shooting perspective. Um, but systemically, obviously, they, uh, you know, the I'd say the math still tends to work out in their favor, which you know I think especially in, in early in that Cleveland game, just felt like those young guards were taking a lot of like tough kind of mid-range you know floaters things like that um and even even houston or charlotte also kind of doing kind of playing the math game a little bit more than than maybe teams want to but but yeah like we saw in that third quarter team gets hot from three um you're gonna have a chance yeah well i i think first of all it it is just the the landscape of the nba now that a 15 point lead is not uh what it used to be and and the way these teams are shooting threes and and the pace the game is being played at, uh, that fifteen point lead that we've seen the Bucks have and lose a couple of times this season, uh, that can be evaporated in a couple of minutes. And we saw that with some hot shooting from the Cavs. And when you pointed to the fact that big guys can sort of get out there and and hurt the Bucks, it was interesting that against Cleveland, Kevin Love uh, was four for eight from three. Um, he's a guy that d- does present some challenges for this Bucks team, particularly with the way, as you pointed to, the way that they want to uh, sort of funnel the guards into mid-range shots and, and they can be susceptible to giving up some threes. But the other guy that, that shot threes was Larry Nance. He was three for four. And when you talk about the Bucks giving up some of these threes to, to bigger guys, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they're... Uh, not that they're wanting to give up wide open threes, but at the same time, they're going to take their chances with a guy like Larry Nance out at the three-point line. We've seen... Uh, the Bucks, when they've played the, the Sixers in the past, Joel Embiid averaged around 10 three-point attempts per game last year against the Bucks. He had 13 uh, attempts in the game in Milwaukee. So, yeah, I mean, this is the way that they play. And uh, I think that it's, it is important to note, as you said, that even with wide-open threes, I mean, the Bucks have... The, the teams have been shooting the lights out against Milwaukee, and that's not something that... Um, you know, it is always going to happen. And uh, I think that generally with the way that everyone is shooting the three uh, in this day and age in the NBA, um, you have to understand that maybe there's going to be a, a hot quarter for a team. And, you know, over the course of the, the 48 minutes, the, the better team is going to be able to win, but you have to withstand that run. Uh, the Bucks did that uh, against Cleveland and, a big part of that was George Hill. And I, I think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning George now because we talk about him a lot as a steady bench player for this team. But even in the, in the game against uh, Charlotte also, I mean, this guy is just playing at an incredibly high level. And it, it's still amazing to me when I, when I think back uh, to that trade and, and what that trade 
was widely lauded for at the time was uh, you know, shedding that salary and getting ready, rid of Dalla and Henson off the books when you were looking to what the Bucks were trying to do uh, in the summer. And I mean, this guy is just vital to this team now. He, he shoots the three well, he runs the offense, he doesn't make many mistakes, he's just a steady player. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA. And if you're listening on the go and you can't get to audible.com right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about outlier shooting. I mean, George Hill's been having an outlier shooting, you know, game all season, right? Um, he's at 51% from three for the season right now, 53% from the field overall. Well, three's off the dribble. I mean, he is, he is, he's feeling himself at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, um, what was he at, like 25% for most of last season after coming over from the buck? So you could say he's, he's just really kind of like regressing to the mean um, from that struggling he had last year. 28% in 47 games last year after coming over from uh, the Cavs. Um, you know, he's a career 38% three-point shooter. He's been at, you know, 40% or higher. Um, basically, I mean, for that part of Cleveland last year, he was he was that um, for um, – most of the season, the the previous year between Sacramento and Cleveland, he was at forty percent his year in Utah. He was at forty one percent his last year in Indiana. Um, not a huge volume guy, right? I mean, he's not like a guy who's just like popping off the dribble like all left and right. Um, but um, we have seen that at times, um, and obviously, yeah. I mean, he's he's really important, you know. I mean, we saw him miss a game, and thankfully the Bucks didn't really miss a beat with him sitting out um, earlier this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially on a team that obviously you didn't bring back Malcolm Brogdon part of, of the rationale was obviously they prioritized bringing back George Hill and paying him a good chunk of money to come back for at least the next couple of years. Um, and so for him to, you know, I'd say repay that investment, um, Again, it's all going to come down to if he can do it in the playoffs, but he was terrific in the playoffs. And obviously, you know, you always get a little nervous that, okay, he's an older guy, right? He's 33 years old. He's going to turn 34 um, next May. Are you, you know, paying him on a hot couple of weeks of shooting in the playoffs or something like that? But um, I think so, certainly so far, I mean, the indications that we've seen from him, you know, his shooting, um, you know, I think the level of his defense, I think he's still a guy that you love being able to throw into the mix, given his size, his ability to move and, and defend both backcourt backcourt spots. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's a really important player from the Bucks. Maybe more important than um, you'd feel really comfortable uh, <laughs> for a guy who's you know in his role. But obviously, um, yeah, he's a he's a big deal. And um, you know, we've seen games this season where Bledsoe has been kind of dicey and obviously uh, we saw that for too many games in the playoffs so having a guy like george that can either play with blood um or potentially you know replace him late in games is uh, is really important certainly if blood so missed any extended period i mean you know you you'd really value having a guy like george that you can bring off the bench and his level of experience and just his general two-way play so um yeah glad we can give a, a shout out to george hill george hill someone we're thankful for in the spirit of thanksgiving 
Um, we'll see exactly how, how long he can keep up this hot shooting. But, um, you know, even if he tails off a bit, he, uh, he's got a really high bar right now, just given the way he's played here in the first uh, first you know, month and change of the season. Yeah, just putting up the the rare 50-50-80 uh, shooting, <laughs> shooting splits, George Hill. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good point you make about him uh, being an older guy and, and how much you want to lean on him during the regular season because, you know, going back to before the season, one of my concerns, or, or I think for, for a lot of people, one of the concerns was uh, the point guard rotation and how heavily you can lean on that guy at, at 33 years old. This is a guy that you're going to need in the playoffs. And uh, there's no doubt for me that the, the whole landscape of what the Bucks were doing with this roster changed with the way George Hill played uh, in the playoffs because um, while there are some limitations with, with Brogdon running an offense, even though he's been impressive in Indiana, you, you still probably trust George Hill a little bit more running uh, his own pick and roll stuff. And, and I, I think that... It's real Bledsoe insurance <laughs> for the playoffs. And we've seen uh, George Hill last year in the conference finals being the guy that Bud went to in, in crunch time. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to, to, to give Hill a bit of a shout-out. He did, he did miss uh, with back soreness. So it's, it's something to just monitor, I think, um, with a guy uh, like, like him, with the experience he has got. You do want to make sure that he gets through to the playoffs. Uh, healthy he's only playing 22.1 minutes per game at the moment so it, they're not asking him to do a whole lot but given the the state of the bucks point guard rotation yeah i mean this guy is is vital to uh to the Bucks, and i'm not sure if everyone feels totally comfortable about how important he is to this team but uh for now yeah he, he's playing really well but uh the the fact that he did miss with the back i i guess uh brings me to something that we spoke about a lot uh, before this back-to-back. And I, I mentioned that I thought that Giannis was probably going to have a night off. Now, uh, since we last spoke, Sterling Brown obviously uh, has been out with an AC joint sprain uh, in his shoulder. So uh, that could be an injury that could keep him on, on the shelf for a little bit there. And then also Brooke Lopez uh, missed uh, the game, which, which really is his first game missed as a buck through... I, I guess injury. I mean, I know he missed game 82 last year, uh, which was more of a, a rest than anything when the, when the Bucks were, were looking forward to the playoffs. But uh, with all that being said, that meant that Giannis did play. And we were talking before we started recording, he only played 19 minutes against Charlotte. So, you know, arguably uh, he had a bit of a night off there. Uh, unfortunately, he, he did only get nine rebounds. He missed out on, on keeping that double-double streak going. But uh, still no rest for Giannis. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the positive way to spin it would be, you know, I mean, obviously this, this coaching staff, medical team, um, they have obviously not been, you know, um, hesitant to rest Giannis over the past year when they felt like it, it needed to happen. And obviously the minutes under Bud have generally been well controlled. So... You know, the fact that he plays in a back-to-back here, um, even after kind of slightly tweaking that ankle um, for for a second uh, against the Cavs, obviously he uh, continued to play through it. But, um, you know, who knows if it was feeling a bit sore on, on Saturday. But the fact that he obviously continues to kind of play through this stuff, um, you know, suggests that obviously you hope that that means that he's feeling really good. And with Giannis, obviously you always worry a little bit that just the way he is competitively, that he's not going to ever really want to take a night off. But I think, you know, um, 
as much as Giannis may be a bit unique in his competitiveness, I think, um, you know, and I think, I think most players don't want to take nights off necessarily. Hmm. Um, so uh, we know that the, the staff have been able to stop him from playing when it's been important at times. So hopefully all, all that we found out this weekend is just that he's feeling really good and they didn't feel, feel like they needed to do it. Um, but, you know, you pointed out the other day, I mean, he's had, um, you know, kind of knee soreness in that, that right knee for years that kind of crops up. Uh, and holds him out of games every once in a while. So, um, you know, the longer longer we go without hearing any any hint of that, obviously the better. Um, but obviously also it helps when, uh, you know, you can kind of lay uh, the wood so hard to a Hornets team that Giannis only plays 20 minutes and still scores 26 points with nine rebounds. So um, the fact that he basically put in, uh, you know, a an all-star caliber, you know, box score line in, in only 20 minutes, I think just sort of, underscores exactly sort of you know just how dominant um he was against uh the hornets after um another big scoring night kind of do it all night uh in uh, in cleveland right i mean fittingly we haven't really touched it on Giannis at all in terms of his actual performances but um you know he continued to play brilliantly over uh these these two games over the weekend and kind of doing exactly what you would hope he he would do against these kind of lesser teams, which is just attack and, and go right at him, which ironically kind of his, his quietest night of the season uh, came against Cleveland at home earlier, which was pretty strange uh, in a game the Bucks easily won. So um, yeah, it was good to see Giannis uh, inflicting his will from, from pretty much the opening possession. We saw him uh, go down the middle of the lane for a massive and one <laughs> dunk, which uh, kind of set the tone for his night. Although, Obviously, the Bucks uh, maybe were not as convincing as uh, as Giannis was to open that game. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a good point you make about the the fact that that this Bucks team and the medical staff has they it, they don't push him too hard, and they certainly don't uh, in the regular season. Um, we've seen this for a number of years now, but particularly last year, uh, there's no sacrifice for Giannis's body <laughs> for the sake of of winning a regular season game. Like we just haven't seen that. And when I look at the minutes per game uh, across the league, Giannis ranks 46th in the league uh, for minutes per game at 32.4. So, I mean, he's not overexerting himself. Certainly a 19-minute night helps. Uh, but just uh, randomly, while I have this list up, I-, I just want to throw something at you here. And maybe you already know this. I'm not too sure. But who do you think is leading the league in minutes per game so far? Uh, I... To be honest, I have no idea. Um, uh, it would have to be someone great whose team is maybe not totally dominant. Um, I don't it's know. Gonna I mean, it's it's going to completely shock you. I'm just going to tell you that. Okay, just tell me. Fred Van Fleet. Oh. Actually, I, I have heard rough. I, I, I do recall that um, you know people talking about, especially after the Lowry injury, and some of the injuries that the the Raptors have had that um, like their guys have been running up, like the starters have been running up huge minute totals there. So that doesn't shock me as much as it might. Cause obviously yeah. he's kind of been in the starting five for, I don't know if all the season of all season, but most of the season. And then obviously with Lowry out, um, yeah, he's bearing a huge burden. And as we know, as Bucks fans, he doesn't miss shots anymore. So why wouldn't you play <laughs> that guy a lot? Yeah, he's uh, he's forty percent from three. He's getting up fifteen shots a night, um, just to, well after numbers. Yeah, but he's playing thirty-seven point five uh, minutes a night, Van Vliet. And uh, yeah, it's 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 
notable that you mentioned that about the starters because uh, Pascal Siakam comes in at number five and then Kyle Lowry, even though he's missed games, comes in at number eight. So they're playing a lot. Uh, and James Harden is, is, comes in number three, Damian Lillard number two. So, uh, yeah, just a, yeah, Harden, a, Harden was the guy, Harden was the guy in my head as I was listing off those trains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 36.8 for, for James Harden. So yeah, I mean, he's playing five more minutes, uh, a night than Giannis. And, and we saw last night when he has the, another 60 point game. And it, it was funny to sort of notice. I know he sat, sat out, uh, the fourth quarter, but. I mean, if the Bucks are up by 50, I, I don't think that Giannis is playing in the third quarter. I mean, I, I just don't see that happening. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just interesting to know. And it's something to, to watch moving forward with him. And, all, and obviously, we will keep an eye on, on Brooke Lopez and also Sterling Brown and, and George Hill as well. As maybe these guys are a, a little dinged up. It's been a tough, tough schedule um, to start the season. Lots of, lots of travel um, for the Bucks, But... Another guy that I wanted to mention was Eric Bledsoe. Uh, just two shots yesterday against Charlotte. It was uh, a really strange game. And, and I want to bring it up because I, I feel like every time we talk about uh, Eric Bledsoe, it's always after he has a big scoring night. And, you know, he's passing last night, 10 assists and zero turnovers. I think that even at his age and for how long he's been in the league, I, I think it's noticeably been an improvement in his game he seems to be more in control he still goes through stretches like there's no question like he can still make the odd uh boneheaded play and sort of gets trigger happy with his jump shot there's no doubt about that but i think um we're seeing more consistently eric bledsoe just making smart decisions with the ball in hand and i don't think that's always been something that we've, we've been able to say about him Did, I feel like he did this last year a bit where he would have like first halves in particular where he just like would take like one or two shots mm-hmm. um, and he would kind of let the game come to him. And I think that's, especially on, on this team with, you know, and, and last year as well, like with the weapons that the Bucks have had, um, I think it's, it's, I would say for him, probably a sign of maturity because I think certainly that first year here, um, we did have some concerns about, again, some of the shot selection, forcing stuff, mid-rangers. Although he never took a lot of mid-range jump shots. I think it only felt that way, even in that that last Jason Kidd, Joe Parenti year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think he's had, obviously, I mean, you know, you look at the numbers. He's having a good season. I think he's, you know, similar to the guy we saw a year ago. I think, again, it's kind of hard defensively. I think there's been a lot of games where he's been really locked in. And there's been other games where he has not been locked in. Um, I don't know. I, I can't say if he's if his relative locked inness has been higher or lower. I'm sure some people have strong feelings one way or the other. Um, I don't at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with him, um, if he's spreading the ball around, making plays, letting other guys, um, you know, get their shots up. I mean, look, he's the point guard, right? I mean, in today's game, obviously, I think it's never been more important that point guards be able to pressure the defense and score when when needed um and you know be able to shoot obviously but you know that's obviously not as much of eric's game than than it is for other players and, and obviously his his style is is a bit different let's let's be honest than probably most you know very good point cards good to great point cards um and uh yeah but i think certainly i mean the results i think kind of spoke for themselves on uh, on saturday just in terms of um you know, offense was clearly not a problem. And, you know, I think if 
um, with this team. You never know like who who is going to be impactful offensively other than Giannis. Um, so I think again for Eric, you know, if he doesn't have to take shots and he's in control and he's making plays, um, you know, again, don't want to over-index on single game plus minus. He's a plus twenty nine. It's not like the team was was having any problems doing good things when he was on the court. Um, so I think certainly um, it's something that'll be interesting to watch because on the one hand, I think also you need him to score more this year. Um, but um, I think it's definitely something worth monitoring. I mean, weird part was in Cleveland, he also only took six shots in 26 minutes uh, against the Cavs, 10 points, five assists, four turnovers. Um, I think in that game, it was much more obvious that Hill was obviously the guy who was, you know, kind of the difference maker with, with his shot making. Um, but it's not like Bledsoe was having um, a really bad shooting. I mean, like the, the jazz game, I thought he was really poor offensively. Um, even if, even if he might've played well defensively, I thought his decision-making against the jazz was just left a lot to be desired. Some of those late, late fourth quarter shots. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to watch because Bledsoe had that period, you know, after the slow start where he seemed like he was scoring 20 almost every night. And now he's, kind of been much more yo-yoing offensively um, in terms of scoring. So it'd be interesting to see kind of where, where he ends up just because um, you know, I think what well, was he at f- 15 and a half, I think last year per game. Um, I think this year he's at, you know, 15.8. So he's pretty much exactly where he was and he's playing actually a slightly fewer minutes per game than he did last year, only 27 and a half minutes per game. So um, yeah, I think Bledsoe's in a pretty good place overall. Um, but uh, you know, it's probably says says good things about the box when you can score one thirty seven with blood, so only taking two shots. Yeah, it was actually just the the twenty first time a Bucks player has had ten assists and zero turnovers since uh, the two thousand two thousand and one season. And uh, when I looked that that stat up, I mean, I you could have, I guess it's like a tough thing with the Bucks. I mean, when you think about the amount of guys they've they've had. <laughs> running the point in the last sort of 15 or so years. But Damon Jones did it five times for the Bucks, And I probably would not, <laughs> I mean, I would not have guessed that. That that would not no. have been the guy I would have gone to. Luke Ridnow did it three times. Giannis has had two of those games. And that was the second one uh, for Bledsoe. Gary Payton had two. And then there was just a bunch of those point guards I was talking about. Daly, Boykins, uh, Udrick, Mason. Anthony Mason was a bit of a surprise there, to be honest. Uh, John's, John Salmons, Mo Williams, Monte Ellis. So uh, just the just the who's who of uh, Bucks ball handlers there with the ten assist uh, zero turnover game. But we do have to talk about Robin Lopez, Frank. Uh, he he came into the starting lineup uh, for this game against Charlotte. It was his first start, and he was just out there banging threes. He was getting to the corner. Obviously, he was going to be open from from behind the three-point line. He hasn't hesitated, and he hasn't hesitated all season, to be fair, but he finished with 13 points, six rebounds, four assists, three blocks, three made three-pointers. And uh, I had to laugh at your tweet. Uh, I think it was yesterday uh, now talking about uh, Robin Lopez being the best uh, three-point shooter, uh, you know, three-point percentage-wise on the roster at the moment. Well, wait, wait. in in the Bucks big men among the Bucks big, big men rotation, men, right? To be right. clear, yes. Yeah, he, I mean, he's up to thirty four percent on two point three attempts per game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that says that says more about the fact that that you know Brooke and and Urson <laughs> and DJ right. have have not been shooting because um, you would certainly expect all those guys to be above that number they were last year. But but yeah, I mean, credit to Robin. Certainly, he didn't start well. Uh, I'd say there was definitely an adjustment period, but. 
Um, yeah, he's looked much better of late when he cranks up those threes. I mean, let's be honest as well. Like, I mean, Brooke is taking, you know, 30 foot threes. Um, <laughs> guys are at least in his vicinity. Robin obviously is taking a lot of corner threes. You know, a lot of times they sort of hide him out in that corner. Um, and so he's, you know, sort of started, I guess, as the, the training wheels, right, for, for becoming a three-point shooter, shoot those corner threes. Um, but, uh, you know, give him credit. You know, he's he's taking them when he's wide open typically, but he's starting to make them. And, you know, again, are our teams respecting him out there? No. But, um, you know, I think the fact that he has started to stretch the floor a little bit. And, uh, again, I think, you know, defensively, I thought he was really good against the Hornets with, you know, yeah. what, we have three or four blocks, um, you know, and again, he's not, he's not a, <laughs> he's not a, a sexy option in the middle. Like everybody I understand is going to want to, you know, probably gravitate more towards, um, you know, smaller lineups, more mobile lineups. Um, but we know the value of having a Lopez brother in the middle of defense. And, uh, you know, Robin, I think has also done for the most part, a nice job. I don't, I'm not going to say he's necessarily as good as Brooke in terms of checking the, the rim, but, um, you know, if you were looking for a facsimile of, of Brooke Lopez, his twin brother would be a good place to start. Yeah, I, I mentioned this. Uh, I was on the, the post-game show with, with Justin uh, after the game uh, against Charlotte. And, uh, I mean, both Lopez brothers, it's, it's remarkable to me how well they actually uh, demonstrate that verticality, verticality uh, defending the rim. And that they just do a great job of, of whether or not they get the block or not. Um, their positioning and their ability to stay disciplined when, when uh, defending those shots is, is just really impressive. And yeah, it was, it's definitely a different look with, with Robin in the starting lineup uh, rather than, than Brooke, just in terms of, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get the same type of space in. Uh, Brooke doesn't shoot too many corner threes. Most of it's from above the break. So it is, it is a, a different look. But I, I think also... Uh, it did point to the fact that uh, as long as you have Giannis out there with Bledsoe and 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 Chris and and these types of players, uh, if you've got a big guy out there that can defend really well and and play that role that the Bucks are asking their big men to play defensively, uh, and they're willing to to shoot the threes and they make shots, you can plug a guy like Robin in there. And and um, I, I don't want to take it too far, but you don't. It's not as big a drop off as what you might might think it, it might be with with Brooke and Robin. And Robin's a guy that started. I mean, he's, he's his whole career. He's been a a starting uh, big man in the league, and at times on on good teams. So uh, he's certainly a, a decent option for for that. If Brooke is going to miss, um, we'll continue to look at how he he sort of matches up with those old bench lineups. I, I just think. Like it gave you an idea when you see Robin Lopez with the starters, you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, like the starting group is very good. And when you put him out there with a five-man bench unit, uh, the limitations sort of are, are more obvious to see. But um, a couple of a couple of the other uh, notable mentions, I guess, from from the weekend. West Matthews keeps keeps scoring. He's seven seven of the last eight games now. He's been in in double digits. He he keeps shooting the three really well. He's been shooting over fifty percent now. In, in that stretch of eight games, and he's up to 39% from three uh, on the season. So he just quietly just keeps hitting shots. And, and some, of the, some of them are, are really impressive. He hit one uh, in the Charlotte game that was uh, sort of off the dribble, sort of leaning. Uh, he's just got a really quick release, and, and it's, uh, it's, fun, it's fun to watch him starting to, to figure it out with this team. And the other one, Dragon Bender, we saw him come in for a little cameo in, in the blowout and put up some quick points. Uh, so yeah, I mean Bender now actually 
uh, I think you know you might want to you might want to look at the, the sample size here. But Bender um, has some arguments about your tweets and the, the bugs. Picking. 